Now, you can turn in your Bibles there again this week because that's our text, Isaiah 55. And we're going to be looking at a few verses again this week and then next week as well as we complete that chapter. And I do want to just remind you of a few things that we, we learned last week. Last week, we spent some time looking at what it meant to live in the right way, just to be on the right path, to live in the right way. And, and we talked about what an important invitation had been given to us by the Lord to be in relationship with him. And that invitation extended to us, we saw was really something important for us. It was for us not to come and buy things over and over again that don't last. You know, but to build our lives into things that are going to last in eternity. And the scripture said last week, why do you spend your money on things that don't last? Come and get this stuff for free. Come and have it for free. And, and, and we understood last week that that invitation had an expiration on it, doesn't it? You know, if you're not in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I just want to remind you of this. The, the invitation that God's extended to you to be in relationship with him only lasts till you take your last breath or Jesus comes back. There's an expiration on it. And so this is not something that we want to just keep kicking down the road and say, well, I'll get to it. Uh, I'll have time for that later. I'm just not ready yet. I, I don't know if I communicated that maybe as well as I should have last week, that there's an urgency to it because we never know when the Lord's going to come back because the Bible says that Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. And if you knew when the thief was coming, you'd make the house ready, but you don't know. And, and so he says to us, it's important that we don't know. No man knows the day or the hour when Jesus is going to return. So the urgency of that is really important for us to see. But this week, I want you to see the importance of starting everything we do with the right book. And that's the word of God. And so I wanna actually begin this week with the verse we ended with last week. So let's start in verse seven and we'll read through verse 12 this week. Let the wicked one abandon his way, the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will freely forgive. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as the heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts, your thoughts. For just as the rain and the snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and I will pro it will prosper in what I send it to do. Uh, the, this verse is an important verse that we started with because it actually couples well with verse eight. Because there's, there's two things that are, that are mentioned there. In verse seven, we see its ways and thoughts and in verse eight, we see it's thoughts and ways. There's a little bit of a play there that takes place. When God says in verse seven, he talks about the ways and thoughts of man. And what he says here is that the ways and thoughts of man are clearly flawed. Well, why is that? Why, why would it be that way? Well, when we read the scripture, one of the things that's important for us to see is that Jeremiah 17, nine says this, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. There's no cure for the wickedness of our hearts apart from Christ. Well, what it's saying there is that the best way that, that we think our best intentions 
are flawed. And if we don't understand that, we, we don't understand what the scripture's saying here. And I think there's a verse from Psalm number one that really speaks to this that I wanna read this morning. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. That, that, that's a great verse to think about. When we talk about the ways and thoughts of man, you, you see it there. It talks about the advice that you get. It talks about standing in the pathway and, and, and being in the company of those who mock the Lord. What, what happens is, so oftentimes, we think, well, I have a good idea about this. I think this would be the way God wants us to do it. But it details for us in Psalm 1 that actually the ways of men are far apart from the ways of God. The way it talks about this is it says that we stand in the pathway, the way of sinners when we're apart from God. Verse seven tells us something important in this kind of understanding of, of, of why we need to understand ourselves properly so that we can then understand the need that we have for the word of God. It, it says that we have to abandon those ways. Now, when you think of abandon, you, you know, a ship that is sinking, there's finally an order given to abandon the ship, right? I mean, if, if you understand that, if, if you're on a sinking vessel, you do all that you can to make it sound again and, and you're, you're maybe pumping with the bilge pumps to get the water off the ship, but at a certain point, there's no hope for it. It is irreparable and, and it's finally commanded, abandon ship. What does that mean? It doesn't mean write it down. It doesn't mean try to put a foot in the life raft and try to put a foot in the, the sinking ship, you have to literally leave it behind. You have to do it in such a way that you cease the practice and leave those thoughts totally behind. And I, I wanna just say this to us this morning. It's very important for us to understand that the way we think informs how we live. Christianity, so much of it, is a thinking person's game. Because how you think ultimately affects how you live, right? What you allow your mind to dwell on will be what you start to practice. And Psalm 1 lays that out for us. It says, don't, don't hang out with the advice of sinners. Don't, don't do that. Don't listen to what they say. Don't let that influence you. Let your influence come from somewhere else because your ways, your thoughts, they're corrupt. From the very beginning, they were corrupt. Uh, our sin nature corrupts those things. And the only way for us to move forward with the Lord is to abandon those things. We have to step aside from those things. Leave them totally behind. Just like the order to abandon the ship. Well, in Psalm, I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 8 and verse 9, we see that it says, God's thoughts and ways are very different. Let me read it for us again. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. So to be very clear, this is not just somebody's idea about it. God is saying, I want you to understand the way you think about things isn't how I do it. The way you practice things is not the way that I would practice them. Verse nine, as heaven is higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. I want you to see the change here in the crossing of the order. Verse seven started with, with the, the ways and, and the thoughts and verse eight kind of flips that for us and God's trying to tell us here they're not even close. 
There's an intentional kind of literary device used there that God's, God's trying to point out to us that they, they cross up. They're not even close to one another. Now, why is this important? Why is it important that we understand it? Why is it important that we acknowledge that this morning? Because there is a difference. And if we don't understand the profound nature of the difference between the way God thinks about things the way we think about things, the way that God tells us to practice things and the way that we would naturally practice them, then we have not yet submitted ourselves unto the Lord. That's a very important distinction that we need to make this morning. Because if I look at the scripture, and you do this, you just don't admit it, because I do it, and I don't like to admit it. I know the word of God says this, but... Can I just tell you, if you ever start a sentence that way, just ask someone who loves you to just go across the back of your head, right? Because you need to be jolted back to reality, don't you? Because when we say, I know God wants this, but I can't. I don't believe I want to do that right now. Right? I mean, you, you understand, it's a submission thing for us. If we have not submitted ourselves to this idea and the profound nature of the difference between the way God thinks about things and the way we think about things, or the way God practices things, and the way we practice things, then we've not yet submitted ourselves to the Lord. He is not our Lord. Now, this is a really important point that the American church loves to forget. We all want to be saved. We don't want Jesus to be our Lord. Nobody wants to go to hell. We just want to keep doing what we want to do. I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want the Lordship of Jesus Christ to invade my life. There's only one problem with that. When we read Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is your friend, mm -mm. if you confess with your mouth Jesus is your buddy, nope. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Savior, it doesn't say that. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is, say it with me, Lord. Now, that's a funny word, isn't it? Because we don't live in feudal times, and, and I didn't say futile, feudal meaning the, the lords and kings. So nobody around us has the title of, you know, you, you don't call somebody Lord so-and-so anymore. We, we don't even understand what that means. For Christ to be Lord over our lives, he said that we had to come to him. Remember Matthew 5, 5? Blessed are the humble. Humility starts that. We come to him humbly, and he is our Lord, meaning that what he says goes. So we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Without the humility to be able to do that, we don't stand a chance. I think there's a, a danger that we're facing, and, and we've seen it for the last couple of decades, but now it, the, the, the seeds of that have fully taken root, and they're producing fruit all throughout our country and really around the world. And it, it's found itself in the modern church, and it's a remaking of God in the ways that we have not seen since the 1800s. And, and here's how it starts. And you hear this all the time. You hear it in the church. You hear it outside the church. But what scares me is that we hear it from pulpits. I don't believe in a God who would blank. I don't believe in a God who would send someone to hell. Okay. I'd like not to believe in that God too, but the God that we serve says that there's an eternal consequence for not being in a relationship with him. I didn't make that up. You didn't make that up. We read it, right? I don't believe in a God who would, who would push someone away who feels like they do. But wait just a second. 
You know what you just did there? If you've ever said that or, or your friends, you know what you just did? You didn't go to your house and get a piece of wood or stone and carve yourself a little idol, but that's exactly what you just made. You created a God that doesn't exist. That's, that's not how it works. As long as we're clear about this, we're in idolatry. When, when we take a God that doesn't come from scripture of, of how he's revealed himself to us and, and we fashion that God into being something that we want to serve, now we're not in a lordship situation anymore, are we? We're the Lord. We're the boss. And yet the Lord says to us, the ways that you think about things, the way that I think about things, is different than how God does it. God's ways are actually incomprehensible to man because they're immeasurable. And that's what he says. He says the heavens are higher than the earth. You, you can't even measure that where I'm at. You can't even fathom it. So, so we have no hope apart from God doing something for us. Now, I, I was thinking about this this week, and, and I, I say this from time to time just to remind us of this, but you realize, of course, that there is nothing that has ever occurred to God. Think about it with me. There are things that occur to you, like, oh, I didn't know that if I did this, this was going to be the outworking of that. Huh. What a revelation. That doesn't happen with God, right? Because everything has its source, beginning and end with him. There's nothing outside of it. So, so if you have an idea that you're like, you know, I think this is a really good idea, you better check it and see what God says about it. You better think about it because nothing has occurred to God. He's had it from the beginning. And our relationship to God is not one in which we dictate to him, I want you to think about this. God's relationship as pictured throughout the entire scripture is one of response. In other words, God moves, we respond. God speaks, we respond. Did Adam and Eve create themselves? They did not. They were created and they had a response to be in relationship with God. Did Abraham decide he was going to, to start the nation of Israel? He did not. God spoke and he had to respond. You, you see how this works. Did, did, did David one day wake up and say, I think I'll be the king? He did not. God moved and David had to respond. This is how this works over and over again through scripture. We, we don't save ourselves. We don't know anything about salvation. It's incomprehensible if God doesn't move towards us. I want you to think about a, a couple of verses of scripture that we say often, but they're very important for us. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he loved us first. We, we didn't create the relationship with God. We weren't looking for that. The scripture says we all like sheep had run away. We were off trying to do our own thing. There's none who righteous, none who seeks after God. God loved us first. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That, that's the initiation of God's work in our lives. And our response to that gives us relationship with God. We don't initiate anything with God. He has initiated with us. Therefore, our response to him has to be to look at how he has revealed himself to us. And then we respond. Too many of people have this order completely confused. They look to the world and they try to formulate something in their minds or in their lives 
that makes them comfortable. And then they go back to the scriptures and seeing the world try to go to the scriptures and formulate a response to that that suits their worldview. That's the exact opposite of what we should do. If you started this morning with Fox News and CNN and decided that that was going to dictate how you viewed the world this morning, something is wrong. And he's just starting the scripture. Then you go look at the news and you'll be able to see what God is doing. It doesn't start out there and come to us. It starts here. It emanates from God and goes out. So it's very important that we understand this. I think the best way that I could describe it is that it's often like if you've ever taken a dance class or something. You know that somebody has to lead and somebody has to follow. There are a lot of Christians that don't understand that God is trying to get us to dance a waltz and we're still trying to dance the tango. The problem is we're stepping all over the place, falling all over the place, stepping on him. We're out of rhythm with what he's doing because we're not responding to his leading. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. Every day that should just start with us. Lord, I need you to put your wisdom in my life. God, I need you to speak to me through the scriptures for what I'm gonna face today. God, I need to, to see what you're doing clearly. I need to understand it because I can't do it on my own, Lord. I need you to be able to do it. How has God revealed to us what he wants us to know? Well, we have two things that God has given us. The first is that God has given us his eternal word. And that word details some things for us about his eternal word, the second thing, that became flesh. John 1 says that we look to Christ and we see the word of God revealed in. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we can look to the scriptures and we can look to the life of Christ. And as we do that, what we begin to do is we begin to see what God's heart is through those things. And the closer we draw to the scripture, the closer we draw to the life of Christ, his heart, we begin to understand how God has revealed himself, what God's purposes are for our lives, how God wants to use us. And so it starts with this, this understanding that, that we on our own are helpless to be able to do it. We cannot understand it. God initiates. We respond. His thoughts higher than ours. His ways higher than ours. But I want you to see this third thing in this passage of scripture, and that's the effectiveness of the word of God. Would you look at, at verse 10 and 11 again? For just as the rain and snow fall from heaven, and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat. So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. We say around here about the scripture, the never changing word of God guides us in an ever changing world. That's a very important statement. And it's kind of a summation of the doctrinal statement that our church adopted 
many years ago that's found in what's known as the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 edition. I just want to read this for you because I think it gives you a little bit of an understanding of what we believe about the Bible. It's very important. The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, is God's revelation of himself to man, is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by, all hum by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who himself is the focus of divine revelation. If you understand what we said there, that's really important because our convention as it adopted this is not a convention without flaws. Maybe you've uh, paid attention over the last year as we've made our ways in some very public failings and some private failings and different things like that. We're not perfect in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And the other day, somebody was asking me about our convention and saying, you know, well, what do you think about this? And, and why have you stayed with the convention for so long and this convention of churches? And at the end of the day, it comes back to this, is that we are a people of the book. That's very important. We're a people of the book. It's not a creed that we have. This is what we have. And, and I don't want to preach something that's not the book. I don't want us to build our lives or our churches on things that aren't the book. And, and I think this is important for us to understand as a group of believers. Uh, it, it's one of those things that if we stray from this, if we step aside from it, we lose the effectual power of God. Did you notice what he said? When my words go forth, they always do exactly what I sent them to accomplish. In August of 2022, we spent a few weeks looking at the Bible in its entirety and, and how God gave it to us and why it's important and why we say that we're people of the book. And if you're new to Judson, you can find those on our website and watch the videos of those if you go back to August of 2022. And I encourage you to do so because this is the basis on which we want to build everything that we're doing. We, we don't wanna build it on personality. We don't wanna build it on programs. We wanna build it starting on the foundation of scripture. And I wanna just tell you why, and you'll, you'll understand this when I read this passage in just a second. You just heard it in the doctrinal statement. Can we look at 2 Timothy chapter three and verse 16? All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Now, if you understand what this is saying, it says it teaches us what to do, it shows us when we're getting off the right track, it shows us how to get back on the right track and then how to keep on the right track. You, you understand what it's saying right there? I mean, that's a, that's a really important verse for us to understand. All scriptures God breathes. What did we just say? God initiates everything. He initiates it. We respond to it. The, the word of God is that thing in our lives that we have to constantly go back to it. And so we go back to this idea of God's ways Jesus being the revelation of God. I think one of the things that we've got to remind ourselves of, so many people today say, well, you know, I don't know about following all of the Bible. I kind of believe what Jesus said is more important than the other stuff and, and all this kind of stuff. You know, Jesus commended people for following the scripture. For instance, he talked about tithing. He said, you tithe, you do well. 
That's a commendation to that. But Jesus himself also said, I came to fulfill all scripture and none of it's gonna pass away until heaven and earth pass away. It's not happening. Now, I didn't come to replace these things. I didn't come so that, so that you wouldn't have to keep the law. I didn't come, he said, every little kind of this idea of jot and tittle, think about it as like comma and apostrophe or a little dot over an eye crossing T's. That's what he's saying. Every bit of it's going to be fulfilled in me. So when we, we understand that, that God's revelation for us and to us is from the scripture, it changes our relationship to the Bible, doesn't it? Because, you know, I, I just, I say this to you, you guys regularly and I hope you, you take it and understand it for what it is. How many times does the scripture say, have a quiet time every morning? It doesn't. How many times does the scripture say, read the Bible through in the year? It doesn't. But the, the, the question that we have for us is, we live in the most digital age, the most access to the Bible that we've ever had, and we know it's the most powerful thing that God's word speaks. When, when God's word speaks, how powerful is it? It created the world. When God's word speaks, it, it changes things. It calms storms. The word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We have it available to us, so why wouldn't we read it? it it's not a mandate to read the Bible in a year. That's not it. I mean, you're, you're not less of a Christian if it takes you a year and a half. You're not less of a Christian if it takes you five years. It's not, it's not that, but why wouldn't you interact with the scripture regularly? It's here for us. And God says about his word, it accomplishes what he desires. There's a, a little kind of illustration there for us to see. And it's one we've talked about before at this church. There's a, an illustration in the gospel, I believe it's of Mark, called the parable of the growing seed. And we've talked about it in terms of, of what it means to engage people with the gospel, of what it means to share the gospel, and, and, and how we do these things. Because the word of God never returns void. Well, the parable of the growing seed says this. The farmer plants the seed, and then he goes and sleeps at night. And while he's sleeping, it's still active it's still growing, it's taking root, it's sprouting. He doesn't know how it does it. He just plants the seed and, and then he goes to sleep. And, and we talked about how in our lives in building the kingdom of God, it, it's very much like that. And here you see it again. The word of God preached and taught over and over again. Guess what it does? It has its effect. It never comes back void. Can I say this to any of you who work in our children's ministry or our student ministry? or you work in Awana, or you work in teaching an adult life group, or you teach one of our grow groups, can I just say to you, you may not feel like it's very powerful what you've brought to teach today, and if it was just up to you, it wouldn't be. But the fact that it's the word of God being spoken aloud, taught aloud, it changes things, and it changes people. We all wanna be effective. I want a high return on investment in everything that I do, don't you? I, I don't wanna go do something and, and have it fail. And here's a guaranteed return on investment. When we engage with the scripture, it says it will accomplish everything God intended for us in our lives. When we teach the scripture, it says that every time we teach it, God will accomplish something for our lives. That's a guaranteed return on investment. That's why we say that the best sermons, the best lessons, the best everything that we do here has its beginning and end with the scripture. It's funny. 
Uh, do you know that when I think that I've often preached one of my better sermons, you guys are silent on it. I mean, like when I think like, mm, I did it today. Yeah, yeah. Pat myself on the back. I really, mm, home run, definitely. I'll walk through the halls after the church. I'll go to my car. I'll start the next week. I don't get an email saying, Pastor, it really spoke to me. I don't get somebody to come pat me on the back and say, oh, really good job. I think there's something to that. Do you know when you guys come and speak to me? It's often the sermons that I hate the most, that I feel discombobulated, that I feel like I didn't, like, man, I didn't really get what I wanted to across in that. I, man, I feel like I could have done better. I feel like, and I'll tell Kathy, I was like, I, I, I mean, it's, it's a common conversation with us. She'll tell you that normally at lunch on Sunday, it's not unusual for me to go, that was terrible. That was awful. I didn't get what I wanted to accomplish. But it's those sermons that you guys will come up to me and say most often, the Lord really spoke to me. Why is that? Maybe it's because when we get out of the way and we allow God's word to speak, God does what he wants. Maybe the, the sermons that I think are so great are because I'm trying to get something across that I want. Maybe it's because I'm trying to shape something or I'm trying to, to and, and I just say that to us to say that's a really important thing for us to understand. What we're, we're using as our basis, as our foundation here, is powerful, it's effective. It does what God intends for it to do. I think that's an important thing for us to remember this week. We wanna spend this year in the right way, building out of the right book, the basis for our lives and our ministries. And I want you to hear me say this. We might build a large crowd, but we can't build the kingdom. Only God's word can do that. Jesus said, I'll build the church. It's not that we can do it. We might build a crowd, but we won't build the kingdom. But we can be assured today that we're building God's kingdom every time we interact with the word of God. And so I wanna just challenge all of us today. Have you recently said, I, I know this is what the word of God says, but. Have you recently said, I don't think I could believe in a God who would. You just fill in the blank. That's a humility issue for all of us. God initiates, we respond in obedience to say, sometimes I, I do not understand this, Lord. I, 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 don't, I don't have a clue why you're doing what you're doing, or, or I don't understand this passage of scripture. It seems hard for me, Lord. It seems like a, a difficult thing for me to wrap my mind around, and I'm just gonna have to trust that your ways, oh, funny thing, actually are higher than mine. Your, your thoughts higher than mine. And I'm just gonna have to, in faith, trust you. You know, it's funny. We mentioned this, but uh, on the regular here, Hebrews 11, that roll call of faith, all of those people were called to do things that were very unusual, very strange, as God was leading, and they had to respond as God initiated in faith, not understanding it all, not having all the answers, 
not knowing how it would all work out, but just to say, yes, Lord, I will obey. Yes, you are the Lord. Yes, I am submitting myself to you. I humbly come and I give myself to you in this Lord. What about us as a church today? I mean, you probably brought your Bible in with you. That's great. I'm, I'm glad that you did. Maybe like our home, you have a couple of different versions at home and you, you have a, a Bible you read for your daily devotional and one, I mean, and all that's great, but it's one thing to say we're people of the book. It's another thing for us to humbly live before the Lord as people of the book. This is the right way, building out of the right book, the word. And as we see it and respond to it, you know how God blesses? It's when we're obedient. God doesn't bless so that we will be obedient. He blesses us when we are obedient. May that be true over our lives today. That the blessing of God comes down and God is pleased with our obedience and the lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives. And he does a remarkable thing in our lives this year that does a remarkable thing in our church this year because we're people of the book. Would you bow with me? We're just gonna spend a moment in prayer this morning. I wanna just ask you, is there a lordship issue in your life today? Is there an issue that, that the Lord is, is bringing to the forefront of, of your, your walk with him and you're struggling with it and you're, you're trying to get peace with it? Would you settle that today? Just do it right now. Maybe it's an issue of repentance. Possibly an issue of idolatry. Have you created a God that doesn't exist so that you can serve him how you please? Maybe you've been on the fence about following Christ. You're not a believer. Nothing would please us more as a church than for you to give your life to Christ. We'd be so excited. And I do want to just remind you, the expiration date is tough to know because we don't know when we'll draw our last breath. We don't know when Christ will return. And I don't say that to try to talk you into a relationship with Christ out of fear. But just to know that he's extended the invitation should make you hopeful today and blessed. Would you receive him today? Father, we come before you and we confess that our hearts are wicked, deceitful. They're incurable apart from you. God, we ask you just to remind us today that you initiate and we respond. God, we ask you to, to speak to us today. We ask you to help us lay down our idols. We ask you, Lord, to help us abandon those things that don't need to be part of our lives.
Lord, may we hear the call to abandon the sinking ship and to stand on the firm foundation that is laid for us in no other person, no other God than Christ. Jesus, we thank you for your work on the cross. We thank you that you have saved us with your death. We thank you that by the shedding of your blood, our sins have been paid. And we pray for the one who may be far from you this morning that they would repent and believe today. Cry out for salvation. God, as we struggle today to bring our lives under the lordship of Christ, we pray for the Holy Spirit's conviction. As we read the Bible, as we listen to the Sunday school lessons, life group lessons, merge, grow group, children's ministry, youth ministry, sermons. Lord, would you speak to us? Let your word accomplish what it needs to in our lives. We believe it is powerful. And and Lord, we wanna build our lives on your word this week. So bring us into conformity with your will and your ways. God, we could never understand all of your ways. They're too high for us. We're too frail. But we thank you, Lord, that you have made a way for us in Christ to know you, to love you. And we thank you that you have loved us first. We pray these things with the assurance, Lord, that you've heard our prayers. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.